Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Ada Paris, and welcome to this bonus episode of Our Lives Plus Tech, the podcast from the Nominate Trust. Nominate Trust recently celebrated the fifth birthday of its NT100 campaign, a project designed to champion the people and organisations who are using tech to change the world for the better. And a few weeks back, I was lucky enough to chair a special event to mark the occasion, bringing together people from diverse backgrounds across business, government and civil society to spark conversations about what it takes for socially motivated tech ventures to flourish and to scale. In this episode, I want to share three inspiring speeches from that night, including words from Kate Wolfenden, co-founder of Project X, Bumi Durawaju, Senior Business Development Manager and Airband Initiative Lead at Microsoft, and Elsa Marie De Silva, the founder and CEO of 2015 NT100 Venture Safe City, whose story towards the end of this bonus episode is a really heartfelt example of how data can be used to tackle culturally embedded social challenges. That's coming up later. But before that, let's open with a few words from Nominate Trust Director, Vicky Hearn. Thank you, everyone. That's very kind of you. So I'm so proud to be working with such an amazing team transforming lives with tech and who just made all this happen. It's just a perfect place and a perfect setting, and thank you all for for joining us. It's wonderful to be sharing this celebration of five years by so many people who share our passion. So over the past five years, we've taken great pride in curating NT100, and we never cease to be amazed, inspired and in awe of the work that's happening in communities around the globe who are transforming lives with tech. This is an NT100 celebration with a difference. Five years is a long time in our tech world, And we very much wanted to learn from the experiences of the teams from which NT100 has has created a platform. So we've used this milestone to take the opportunity to reflect before, if you like, catapulting forward. Tonight, with our guests here, we want to start a global conversation and sort of talk to you about the relationship between society and tech. And now, let's party with purpose. Ada, back to you. So thanks for that, Vicky. And it certainly was a party with purpose. I felt inspired by not only the speakers, but the guests and the conversations that we had later that night. So now let's kick off the podcast. And first up, let's hear from Kate Wolfenden, the co-founder of Project X, which is the world's first end-to-end service to fast-track sustainable innovations into industry. 
Kate's goal is about accelerating impact. Let's head to the stage to hear from her now. Hello, Ha. <laughs> so, first off, thanks for having me. I just wanted to say, because actually when I moved into the sector, gosh, about eight years ago now, I felt quite frustrated, like I was trapped in a cage all of a sudden. And uh, I started looking outside to try and find examples of people that are trying to break the mould. And I remember really early on seeing the Nominate Trust, the Nominate Trust 100, and really tracking it and seeing the journey you guys are going on. It's a pleasure now to have seen this journey and to be part of the journey. Um, so yes, that's really inspirational. The other thing I wanted to share to frame the conversation that I'm about to have is that I'm going to start talking about big numbers and systems, but my point being is the only reason why we talk this way is because we care so much about these solutions and being able to get them to scale as quickly as possible. But yeah, so in 2015, when the Sustainable Development Goals were published, the IMF and the World Bank got together and estimated it was going to cost about 90 trillion in terms of investment into innovation and infrastructure to be able to deliver on goals in that way, which is fantastic, right? So we have to do what well, is the biggest challenge you've ever seen, but it's also the biggest business case you've ever seen. Same as what happened with the Paris Climate Accord and the, the Climate Change Agreement. If you get a whole a country to legally oblige themselves to be able to reduce their carbon emissions, that comes across to companies that actually there's an, there's an opportunity there and we should be delivering on that. So what happens off the back of that? There is a wave of innovations. So many innovations and innovation solutions to be able to solve these massive problems that actually, if you think about that for a moment, take ourselves outside of these amazing innovations that are emerging every single day and put yourself in the place of the risk-averse organizations that actually have to adopt these solutions that actually are risk-averse, but potentially also are the organizations that can really transform our futures and our future responsible and sustainable futures then actually it's quite an overwhelming place to be. These guys are governed by major shareholders. They care about earnings per share. You can have the purest soul in the world, but they still have to report quarterly. So how do we help them with the risks and costs associated with making those changes? And that's the space where I think is really interesting. And so there's two fundamental problem statements that, sit under, that underpin that. And the first is that there, it's not that there's not enough innovation in the world. There's almost that there's too much nowadays. So the challenge is not, what is the next brilliant solution? It's actually, how do we help the organizations that are able to be able to take these solutions to scale? Well, how do we help the, the investors that are responsible for investing in these solutions to scale? How do we help them discern what are the most scalable and sustainable solutions out there and help them do it as quickly as possible? Because the scarcest resource we have is time. So that's problem one. The next problem is, it's not that there's not enough money in the world. As one example, because I come from the climate perspective, so forgive me, there is no climate, there is no social, they are interlinked. But green bonds, I think they, I think they times 10 in terms of their total value in the space of four years. It's not that there's not enough money in the world. It's that there's not enough of a risk-mitigated pipeline of investments to be able to invest in. So our responsibility is to make those solutions investable so we can scale. And those two problem statements brought together what we understand Project X to be. We're really simple. We help organizations with the risks and costs associated with being able to make the change. And for us, that's why I think it's amazing to be here, and that's why I love Nominet Trust, is because you're bringing these innovations to the table. And by the way, when I read the report, I got there like, what am I going to say? <laughs> you're totally spot on. Um, so the only thing I can bring today is builds. And so my first build was around, it's not about is there enough innovation? It's about helping people 
find what are the right solutions and being really responsible about it. I mean, to make a really live example, we're working in the feed industry, helping them replace unsustainable ingredients like soy, which causes mass deforestation in priority parts of the world, and trash fish, which causes mass exploitation of our oceans and slavery, and asking them to replace it with things that are climate resilient and, and almost abundant, like insects and algae. Yet, if we... <laughs> But if we replace these solutions blindly without holistically understanding the challenges we face, we can single-handedly, by replacing algae with trash fish, destroy an entire livelihood and send people into poverty. So the problem is there are always trade-offs. But the point is, is knowing what those trade-offs are and being able to responsibly make that transition together, which is one of your insights as well. It's about ecosystem. It's not about ego. So that's the first one. The second one is around money goes where contracts flow. So everyone runs to the investment, right? Oh, I need to get investment for this. I need to get investment for that. Investors will not invest unless the risk is right. So if you bring to investors corporate contracts, public sector contracts, then you can reduce the risk. And then people, then the money flows naturally. So don't flock to the money. Flock to the corporate contracts. And that is... And that is a, I mean, prime examples in Nominet Trust as well. Fairphone, 140,000 phones. I love Fairphone. I, the point is, I've got an iPhone in my pocket. Why do I not have a Fairphone when I care about it so much? It's a travesty. 140,000 iPhones, it's an amazing impact. At the same time, there are more smartphones than people in the world. How do we work with Fairphone? How do we work with AidTech to be able to get them the public or the private sector contracts that makes them mainstream? Because that's what they deserve. And so it's that leverage. It's pr procurement as a lever for change. So that's my second point. Finally, it's about collaboration and not competing. Um, but truly collaborating. People talk all the time about, I'm going to collaborate, but they're all about competing. What if every time you wanted to talk about competitors, you replaced it with collaborators? What if every time you started speaking about your competitor, you said, how can I help your competitor? Because in the bigger picture, we're all here to be able to move the dial on the biggest problems in the world. And if we start protecting our patch, we're never going to get there. So how can we all work together collectively to be able to make a big impact, drop our egos, and care about the planet and people in it? Thank you. Thanks to Kate Wolfenden there, who is co-founder of Project X, and she talks about true collaboration, not competition. And that's what it's really about. It's about how do you help investors understand what are the real solutions, and you hold that hand, work with them together, so that you can actually start to scale those projects. And on the subject of collaboration, it's hugely important to the Nominate Trust to build those partnerships in what they're doing. So they've partnered with organisations such as the Joseph Browntree Foundation, Big Society Capital, Ascension Ventures, and Finance Birmingham to launch the Fair by Design Fund. And this is a £20 million fund that supports ventures that can disrupt energy, finance and insurance markets. So this is a prime example of how the Nominate Trust works internally, trying to lead by example and get other organisations to work in very similar ways to have a real impact on people in the world. So we've just heard from Kate talking about collaboration. And now our next speaker is Bumi Duruwoju, Senior Business Development Manager and Airband Initiative Lead at Microsoft. And this time, Bumi is talking about how can we really start to implement the tech and implant that into emerging markets. 
Thank you, first of all, for inviting me to your birthday party. <laughs> I am really, really honoured to be in the room with people who are already doing some amazing stuff. My bit of this conversation is really, again, and it, it's, it's a common thread that I see feels going to be coming um, through this evening, is really starting to push and test already bright people who are doing some amazing stuff and just saying, where are we going to go next for it? Let's think about the 49% of the world population who have no connectivity in this world. And let's just think about the fact that connectivity really is the bedrock of a lot of the things that we're doing, the digital economy and the innovation. And then I want us to flip that and just think, okay, so there's 51% of us who actually do have connectivity, who've already been engaged in this area, who I think I'm going to call the digital veterans. Guys who have already made the mistakes. We've been through the pain of giving the kid the smartphone when they weren't ready for it. We've had to already start looking at and start thinking about, have we got the right settings to protect that child? Oh, no, it's too late when you see what they're looking at. We are already veterans, and so we already have some learnings that we should be applying, and I don't think that we should be afraid of that. And actually, a really um, a great example that's come out today, which is sort of how already our 12- and 15-year-olds are veterans in the digital space. The Ofcom study that's just come out today, I don't know if you've all seen it or start reading it, sort of looking at children and how they are engaging in social media. And um, it's great. They look at the whole fake news situation. The good news, 56% of children are consuming news. Great. Thank goodness. They're consuming news using social media. And also, great news, there's nine out of ten of them who are actually already thinking about, is that news right? Does that sound right? They're questioning. They're thinking already, because they're already veterans. They already have the language of checking what's going on and doing the right thing. And I think that's just a real, quite a vanilla example of all the different exposure that we've given people in the digital economy. We could go to the other areas. We could go to child safety. We could go to finance and management and what have you. But that's a really good vanilla example of veterans and already 12 and 15-year-olds learning and working out what the right thing to do is. So really, as innovators, I'm asking everybody to really think at the point of when they're developing these products, services, solutions, and really think about what we should be doing to reduce risk, threat, and vulnerabilities. And I'm just saying think and be uncomfortable. And you know what? It's, gonna, it's uncomfortable for me to say that I absolutely want us to empower that force of nature, a lady in a village, who's waking up at three in the morning, going and get some produce, going to take that produce, go and sell it at the market, get the market, get the profit on that same day, pay her bills, pay her school fees. And it's wonderful for me to think, I'm going to give her a smartphone. I'm going to get a partnership with a bank. I'm going to talk to a mobile operator. I'm going to make sure that this woman actually gets some credit. I'm going to actually bring her online. I'm going to give her access to some microfinance. And you know what? that's going to ease her for the day. She'll either be able to buy some more, sell some more, make some more profit, do more. That's what we want. That's what we want. But you know what? The difficult bit is I've actually exposed her to a pile of unscrupulous credit people, whoever they want, 
I have exposed her to a pile of people who may not have her best interest at heart. I had her best interest at heart. Now, when I think about that and I put myself in that uncomfortable space, it's not a bad thing. So everybody starts smiling, it's okay, it's not bad. <laughs> because we have the innovation, we have the ability, we have the, the wherewithal to fix this. We've, I talked about this in a talk in Cape Town a few weeks ago, and we said, oh, what can we do? And really, we, yes, we talked about technological solutions. Should there be something that pings up on the phone to say, do you know who these people are who are contacting you? Should there be something on that phone that is alerting her in the way that she understands? I'm not saying give her the little bit at the bottom. You should be careful of all the loans that you get and all that. No, we're not talking about that one. <laughs> we're not talking about that. We're talking about something that, is, that she can consume and understand and realise, actually, let me get some help. Let me ask about what's going on. Let me have some understanding. That's what I'm talking about. And that's the bit where we can just take a breath and think about, have we thought about that at the point of development? And that's where we can actually take our digital transformation, truly transform lives, but also able lives to sidestep some of the mistakes that we the veterans have already made so that's a, I hope that's a really good understanding I want to give you a really great example of how this has been approached by Satya Nadella CEO of Microsoft she says that with pride and a smile on her face he's an all-around good guy and really last year when he was asked there was the whole AI frenzy it continues and he was asked about you know what's happening with AI is it really going to take over the world what's going on and to Kate's point about how overwhelming can having to even get your head around what AI can do? How overwhelming can that be? But let's have a starting point. And he was just like, look, you know, I'm not always right. I haven't got the starting point. But let me give you six principles. The key of those six principles for me was the key, the principles were to be applied and considered at the point of creating the technology. Not afterwards when it's gone bad. Not afterwards, but at the point of creating the technology. I know my time is short, but I think actually when I run through these six principles that he put out, people trash them. Some people are like, yeah, okay, you haven't really said anything. But people actually stopped and thought about it. And I think it would be great to think about them and like apply it to when we are innovating going forward. He said that AI must assist humanity. He said it must be transparent. There must be maximum efficiencies without destroying the dignity of people. He said it should be designed for an intelligent privacy. And there must be algorithmic accountabilities. And that actually means having a panic button. The panic button being, this is going bad, press the button, switch off, reverse this, it's okay. There must be that. And he also said it must guard against bias. Now, there's a pile of stuff that's packed around that. But I just think, with that, on top of, again, what he says, the human piece that we have to add to that, which is some empathy, education, creativity, judgment, and accountability. If we all think about those principles at the time when we are innovating and developing, and if it's not those principles, principles that we have thought about ourselves, and then have that difficult conversation. And if it's hard, just call me. I'll come around with some wine. We'll get some chicken. We'll just sit down. I'll get some tissue. Right? Just really test ourselves. And then once we've done that, and run, should we call it our own risk analysis? Run a risk analysis, a vulnerability analysis. 
a threat analysis on what we're thinking about. And when we've done that, do you know what? After you've had the chicken and the wine, pick yourself up, re-innovate, go back to the drawing board and get it right. Because we can and we've already got the learning. That is now exciting. And that is the kind of innovation and that's the next step I feel for so many people in this room. So with that, thank you. Thanks again to Bumi for her insights and sharing her stories with us. So my takeaway from what she said is that it's really about feeling the fear and understanding how we can take that and start to have real impact in emerging markets. Be responsible, create responsible innovation. And the way to do that is actually to look at what happens at the point of development rather than retrospectively. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. And now I want to head to the final talk of this podcast, which I feel just brings all of this conversation together. And we're going to hear from Elsa Marie De Silva, founder and CEO of a venture called Safe City, which is a real heartfelt discussion about the power of data and how it can impact socially embedded challenges. And basically, Safe City does what it says on the tin. It's trying to make the city safe for women. Good evening. And thank you, Nominate Trust, for recognising us as a social innovation. So may I see a show of hands? How many of you are following the hashtag MeToo on social media? I think with that, we've reached a kind of inflection point. And we had a similar one about five years ago in India when Jyoti Singh was gang-raped on a bus in Delhi and she lost her life to her injuries. And for the first time, as I recall, we started talking about sexual violence. And many of my friends started sharing their own stories. I was reminded of my own experiences as well. At the time, I was working in the aviation industry, and I started to think a little more deeply about this issue because I wanted to do something concrete about it. And as I researched, I found that sexual violence is a global pandemic. It's not an India issue alone. 
According to UN Women, one in three women on an average around the world experience some form of it at least once in their lifetime. And yet, 80% of us choose not to talk about it for various reasons. Fear of bringing shame to, the, to ourselves and our families, fear of dealing with the police and their insensitivity, fear of um, the lengthy judicial process for justice. And in fact, for many of us, we don't understand there's a whole spectrum of abuse. On a daily basis, we ignore the verbal and nonverbal forms of it, thinking it's too trivial when in fact it can be extremely debilitating to many, limiting our choices, restricting our movements, and affecting our mental health. And what it does is it actually causes the issue to become invisible because of the underreporting and undercommunication. And official statistics do not reflect the true nature and size of the problem. And so I decided to bridge that data gap. I quit my job and founded Safe City. Safe City is a platform that encourages people to anonymously share their stories, their personal stories of sexual violence in public spaces. These are then collated as location-based trends and visualized on a map as hotspots. And the aim is to have this information available in the public domain so that every one of us can use it to improve our situational awareness and make better choices for our safety, or you know, get our communities to find local solutions and hold institutional service providers accountable in doing a better job. And since we started a little over four years ago, we have close to 11,000 stories, not only from India, but through partners in other countries like Kenya, Cameroon, Nepal, Nigeria, et cetera. And what I find is that these stories reflect some men's deep lack of respect for women of all backgrounds in public spaces and they, their resentment of their presence in public spaces. And this is linked to patriarchy, especially in India where you you know, the, we have this attitude of looking away and overall devaluing a woman. And in many households, women actually have little or no choice regarding their own lives. So my challenge with Safe City is really to question the status quo, get people to change their attitudes, and break their silence around the issue on sexual violence. What I found since I started Safe City is that data can help. We use these stories that women and girls share to identify factors that lead to behavior that cause violence and help us think through strategies to find solutions. And we have used this information to engage over 400,000 people, citizens, police, municipal and transportation authorities in India and abroad. For example, one of the hotspots that showed up on our map was in Delhi at an urban village on a busy main road where there was a tea stall. In India, these are small kiosks which are male-dominated spaces. You hardly see women loitering around having their tea. The men over there would stare at the women passing by, comment on them, and you know, intimidate them with their constant male gaze. And one of the things we do is when we work with the community, we present the data back to them and say, what would you like to do about it? And they said, we would like the staring to stop. Now, how do you do that in a culture where it's difficult to confront male? So we organized an art workshop, and they painted staring eyes and subtle messaging, really reflecting their feelings. Look with your heart, not with your eyes. We won't be intimidated by your gaze, et cetera. 
And this was so effective that it's been years now since that wall mural went up. And the women and girls can walk to school, college, or work without fear of being intimidated. And the community really has their back. So ch changing cultures of violence is partly about policies, but it's also about giving people a voice by making it easy for them to report and transparently showcasing this data, you can actually hold institutions accountable. We have several examples where on presenting the data, we've got the police to change beat patrol timings and increase vigilance. We've had municipal authorities fix street lighting as well as make safe public toilets available. And in Kathmandu, Nepal, our partner was able to convince transportation authorities to issue women-only bus licenses. So if you think about it, every day millions of women and girls continue to be sexually violated. And if you think about the MeToo hashtag, we have a lot of work to do. Because I have a lot of friends who put up the hashtag on social media, but didn't share their story. So technology can help us not only bridge the data gap, but also connect people in ways that we never thought possible. So I would like to invite you to join me on my journey in making every city a safe city. Thank you. What a wonderful way to kind of round up this podcast today. For me, what's really important about what else is doing and projects such as Safe City is that it's really relatable. It's brought in all the other elements that Kate talked about in terms of collaboration, that Bumi spoke about in terms of feeling the fear and doing it anyhow. And I think that's, for me, one of the powerful things about Nominate Trust and the work that they do, that the projects that they invest in and the projects that they work with are personally relatable. And it's just a beautiful way for us to round off this bonus podcast today. We'll be back in the studio in two weeks' time, but if you'd like to explore some of the other global projects that are transforming lives with tech, like those featured in today's podcast, then head to the Nominate Trust website. That's nominatetrust.org.uk. There you'll find more on the NT100 campaign, including our new report, Transforming Lives with Tech, a global conversation, sharing insights from five years of NT100 projects and emerging social tech trends for 2018. So thank you once again to all the speakers who were there on the day. It was a wonderful event and truly a global conversation. Happy birthday to NT100 and I'll see you next time. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 